Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited uh, today, right? And we've got a lot of ground to cover, so we're just going to kind of jump right in. Um, one of the reasons I'm so excited is because we get to talk about what is, what, what is one of my favorite verses, like in all of Scripture. Like there's this one, I'm like, like this is it. Like this is the one for me. Um, and so that's what we're going to look at today. And one of the reasons that I love it so much is because in a sentence, Jesus tells us like what he was all about or why he was here or what he came to do. And it's just, I love that because it seems like there can be a lot of confusion around Jesus from time to time, or, or debate over who was he, and what did he do, and what was the purpose, and, and that can come both from, like, within the church, and Christians, like, arguing and trying to figure things out, and, or, or from outside saying Jesus was this, or he was that, and, and I love this verse, because he tells us, here's why I came, here's what I'm here to do, and so for two groups of people, if you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, this should be, like, one of those, those verses that we come back to that reminds us of, like, oh, yeah, like, this is, this is it, this is true north, this is the thing that, like, centers me. Uh, and maybe you're someone that's exploring faith, you got some questions, um, maybe this will help clear out some of like the, the baggage that gets thrown along with Jesus, and it's like, hey, this is what he's about. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give us the verse that's going to come all the way at the end of the passage that we're looking at today, and then we'll back up and work our way back to it. Sound good? All right, here, here, here's the verse. This is Jesus in John 10, 10. He says, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. That's the verse. I love that. He's like, you, you want to know why I'm here? Like, why, why did would God become man? Why did he walk the earth? Why did he teach? Why did he do miracles? Why did he heal people? Why did he, why did he love people the way he did? Why did he die for sins on a cross? Why did he rise from the dead? He said, I did that so that people could have life and have it in abundance. Life abundantly. Now, different translations actually translate the, the abundance a little bit differently. Maybe you've heard that said life to the fullest or life to the full or the life that is truly life. But it's just this picture of, of life, the, the way it was actually meant to be lived. The life that is overflowing, that's just like it's bubbling out of you. Um, like Jesus came to give us life. And, and one of the things that I, I always like to push back on is try to kind of erase some of the pop culture-y, uh, Christianity, like churchianity, like pictures of things. Where sometimes we come to things like this and we think, well, life, to, like abundant life, that's like, you know, someday when I die, I go to heaven, right? That's what we're talking about, like abundant life. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Uh, that when we read through the pages of scripture, when we look at what Jesus says, we look at his life, we look at what he, he did, like this is, this is more than just do you go to heaven when you die. This is about a quality and a quantity of life that we can experience right now that then continues on into eternity. Like, it's this idea of, like, there, there is something, like, I'm living, in the, the moment that I know Jesus, there is a way that I live that is truly living. And, and ultimately, it doesn't matter, like, where you're at on the faith journey, if you're a, a Christian or not, or not a follower of Jesus, you're, you're exploring. Every single person has, is, is on this journey to find this. We may say it differently. We might have different ideas of what that looks like. But we spend our lives, we spend 70 or 80 years going, you know what, like, I, I want a fulfilled life. I want, to, I, want, I want to have joy and, and peace and happiness and contentment, and, and I want to really know what it is to, to love and to be loved. And We want to get to the end of our lives someday and look back and say, you know what? I really lived. I didn't just exist. Like there was something, there was, there was so much life that was flowing out of me. There's something hardwired in us that says, I'm looking for that thing. And Jesus shows up and says, I got you. Really good news. I got the thing that you're looking for. But to understand it, like in its properly, it only is understood in its context. We're going to look at what he says before it, and we're going to look at what he says after it. And when I was prepping this message this week, I tend to be a little long-winded. No comments, okay? And so I'm like, can't do it in one week. So this week, we're going to look at what he says before this, and next week, we're going to look at what he says after it. So we're, just, we're jumping right in. So this is kind of our, our guiding principle for this morning. This is where we're working our way towards. Jesus saying, I've come to give them life, and they may have it in abundance. So John 10, starting in verse 1, here we go. Truly, I tell you, there's this little phrase uh, here at the beginning 
that we often run across in Jesus' teachings. Uh, it, it gets translated different ways. Sometimes it'll be truly, truly, or amen, amen, um, or truly, I tell you like it is here, or very truly, I tell you, or if you're a King James person, person, person it's verily, verily. I can never think of that without like then singing, row, row, row your boat. <laughs> like, I'm just like, verily, verily. Okay, but, but it's this idea of when he's teaching something, you're like, hey, pay attention to this. This is really, really important. Truly, I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way uh, is a thief and a robber. And the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. So Jesus is about to teach something, and he does what he so often does, is in order to teach something really important, he uses like pictures and examples that were common to his audience at that time. Something that, that they instantly would have been like, oh yeah, we have categories for this. Um, while shepherding may not be something that we're super familiar with, in his original context, it, it was. Uh, being a shepherd was a common occupation. You would see shepherds, you would see sheep. And so uh, he starts talking about this and he's gonna sort of pull on all these ideas of, of sheep and shepherds and gates and like sheepfolds and people that wanna do harm to the sheep. And he's creating these categories for people to go, oh yeah, I get that, I get that, I get that. So that's kind of the world that we're stepping into. And here in the first two verses, he introduces kind of some key ideas that are gonna go all throughout this passage. In verse two, he says, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd. These two kind of pictures, there's a gate and there's a shepherd. And those ideas are going to get filled out throughout this passage because Jesus is actually going to go on to, uh, to say two things that are these I am statements of Jesus. In John's gospel, there's, he presents Jesus in a certain way and there's certain sayings of Jesus that come up over and over. And one of those is I am this or I am that. Uh, and it's his way of saying, I want you to, to, to see this thing about me. And we've covered some of them. Uh, Paul talked a little this morning uh, in between songs about Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Like one of the things that he shows up and does is says, the world is a dark place. There's evil and there's pain and there's suffering and there's brokenness. The world is that way. We have that within us. And I show up, I am the light in the darkness. We, we've looked at Jesus saying, I am the bread of life and I am the living water. The things that we look to satisfy ourselves with, he says, I'm what will satisfy. In this passage, we're going to come across two more. He's going to say, I'm the shepherd, and I'm also the gate. I'm the shepherd, and I'm the gate. And so here, at the beginning of this passage, he's talking about the gate and the shepherd, but he's going to go on to say, by the way, I am both of those things. I'm both of those things. And so there's this, this idea. He says, listen, you've got you to go through the gate. You've got to walk with the shepherd, and I am both of those things. And so there's this idea. We're getting to abundant life at the end. If you want to have abundant life, if you want to experience the things of God, if you want to, and all the things we put along with that relationship with the Father, and we talk about salvation, we talk about the kingdom of God, we talk about life abundantly. He's like, you gotta, you gotta go through the gate and you gotta be walking with the shepherd and I'm both of those things. If you think there's any other way to experience an abundant life outside of me, you'll find yourself disappointed. Because every other way, he'll say, is, is a thief and a robber. Every other shepherd you wanna walk with, every other gate you might walk through will end up taking something from you. I want to give something to you. And it does set up a tension, and maybe you're already feeling it, because of when we live and where we live and kind of our uh, 21st century Western kind of way of thinking and our culture. There, there's something that you're like, Ugh. It, it, honestly, if actually if you're a Christian or grew up in church or been around it for a long time, it may not be there right away. But if you're exploring faith or you haven't always been a Christian or you've got some issues, there's this thing that dings our conscience and says, this sounds really, really exclusive, Jesus. And that's offensive, again, to our 21st century Western ears to be like, you, it sounds like you're claiming that you're the only way. How can you make that kind of a claim? Now, that's something that, that we're going to get into a little bit this week and next week as we go along. So just kind of tuck that away. 
So he says, the one who enters the sheep, uh, or who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep, and the gatekeeper opens it for him. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. First thing I want us to notice about the, the shepherd is just the relationship with the sheep. The sheep, they hear his voice, and he knows their name. That shepherds were known um, to be able to call, to have a unique call or a sound that they use for their sheep, and their sheep would recognize that. But from the time like a, a, a baby sheep was born, a lamb, hey, leave me a baby, it's baby sheep, do, 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 okay? I have little kids. From the time that the, the, the lamb was born, uh, the shepherd would begin speaking to it and talking to it, so it would grow to know the shepherd's voice, so it could recognize the shepherd's voice and respond to the shepherd's voice. Um, animals still kind of do this. You know, if you're like a pet person, maybe you have a pet that kind of will respond when you call the pet, or if you have a little certain way of saying things. Um, we had cats growing up. Don't judge, okay? Um, <laughs> Paul, don't laugh. Don't laugh. Uh, and one of the things, I don't know why, but like my brother and I had a way of calling our cats. It was just kind of like, you couldn't just say their name. It was like this sing-songy little thing that we would do. And so the one cat we had in particular's name was Sophie. And so it was never, hey, Sophie. It was, Sophie, Sophie. But that just, like, it just morphed over time because Sophie went from Sophie to Snoopy, Snappings. Then it went to Snoopading. And then it went to, there's no pudding. And, but it didn't matter if you said Sophie or Snoopy or Snoopies or Snap Beans or Snow Pudding. As long as you, so I don't like this, like, she came running, right? There, but, but if you would go up to the cat and just use the cat's name, be like, hey, Sophie, the cat doesn't come because the cat doesn't know your voice, right? So, like, there's this picture with the sheep of, like, the shepherd and the sheep have this relationship where the shepherd's like, yep, those are my sheep. I know their names, and my sheep recognize my voice. And the really, like, beautiful thing is this picture goes along, and he begins talking about this, like, the sheep and the analogy are uh, the people that trust in Jesus, those who follow him, those of us that will be Christians, and he is the shepherd. And so that's the word picture that's given. And so he says, I know your name. You need to recognize my voice. You need to hear me when I'm calling. You need to hear me when I'm speaking. We, we talk about around here kind of how, how do we hear God's voice, and I like to use this, I call it the three-legged stool, where we, we read the scriptures while we're uh, empowered by his spirit and in community with the church or community with the saints. So it's scripture, spirit, saints. Like this is how we come together where over time we learn to hear the voice of Jesus. Right? So he says the, 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 this is the first thing about the shepherd. He, he, they, the sheep hear his voice. He calls them by name and he leads them out. And look at the second thing. When he's brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. He goes ahead. Well, this is a different picture than we probably have of shepherding. We picture shepherds, and we picture kind of the Western way of shepherding, which would include the shepherd behind his flock and like a sheepdog driving the flock somewhere. There's somewhere we want the sheep to go, so we're going to push them in that direction. We're going to kind of corral them and move them where we want them to go. But in the Near East today and during the times of Jesus, the shepherd didn't lead from behind. The shepherd led from the front. Because the sheep knew his voice, the shepherd would go ahead and start calling the sheep, and the sheep would meet him where he was. And so the shepherd was out in front. He said, listen, I went out. There's, there's pasture out here. There's food, there's water, there's no predators out here. It's safe for you out here. Come on, sheep, come on, sheep. Here, sheep, sheep. I don't know how you call a sheep. But, he's, but like, there's this idea, the shepherd has gone ahead. And the sheep are like, Where, where's his voice? Where's his voice? We want to go to where he is. We want to go to where he is. He knows their name. They hear his voice. He's out in front. And the sheep will never follow a stranger. Instead, they run away from him because they don't know the voice of the stranger. Here's another part of this, that you could be pasturing multiple flocks together with different shepherds, and your sheep get kind of all 
intermingled. Well, how do you get them separated? Well, because the sheep know their shepherd's voice, one shepherd could go off to one area and start calling, and only his sheep would come. None of the others would. And if, if an imposter came along and was like, ha-ha, I'm going to twirl my mustache and steal your sheep, and tried to make the same call, they'd be like, no, that's not my shepherd. I don't recognize that voice. I'm not going to go to him. Right, so he, here's this picture, and again, it's like, hey, Jesus, like, I'm the shepherd, you're the sheep, this is where this thing is going. It's this beautiful picture of, of him, like, looking to those of us that are, are, are his and his followers and saying, Jake, Jake, come on, come follow me, come on, Christy, come follow me. Like, I'm out here, I'm out here, Cody, come on, here I am. Come follow me, here I am, follow me, I'm up ahead of you, follow me, there's pasture here, follow me, there's water here, follow me, there's no, like, you're safe here, you're safe here with me, follow me, you can flourish where I am, I have found good pasture for you, follow my voice, don't get distracted by the voices around you, don't follow the imposters, follow me. This idea, it's so personal, it's so relational, I know their name, they know my voice. The, the abundant life that Jesus offers, we can only step into that if it's personal and if it's relational. That religious practice does not lead to the abundant life. Church attendance does not lead to the abundant life. Reading scripture on its own does not lead to the abundant life. Serving people does not lead to the abundant life. Getting in community group does not lead to the abundant life. Now, we love all those things, and those things are all really important, and we, we talk about them all the time. But those things only lead to the abundant life in as much as they lead us first to Jesus. Right, they are tools to get us to him, and it's personal, and it's relational, and life flows from that. And so that's that first picture. He's like, here, here you go. It's, it's, it's sheep. It's shepherd. I'm calling them. It's personal. It's relational. And then he gets into a, another example or another kind of metaphor. Like, okay, he, here's what it's like. How can I explain this? And so he switches metaphors on him. Verse 7 says, Jesus said again, truly I tell you, there's that same phrase, I am the gate for the sheep. I'm the gate for the sheep. And so first we had the shepherd, now we have the gate, and he's kind of switching up metaphors. And uh, it could be that he's just using like two separate, like, okay, shepherd uh, gate is going to give us two different pictures. But this likely would have been taken as a literal picture um, in their kind of context as well. Because of the way that shepherding worked and the way a sheep pen or sheepfold was set up, uh, there was a very specific role that the gate played. And so I'm just going to read from uh, a New Testament scholar, Gerald Burchard, and he says this, the sheepfold was a place of security. It was not a place for intruders. Such a sheepfold would have likely been either a circular or a square enclosure, probably constructed as a high stone fence or wall. And the only entrance would have been, or the entrance would have been the only break in the wall. And once the sheep were safely inside at night, the watchman, who is either a servant or a shepherd, would lie down across the opening and serve as both the protector for the sheep and the gate for the sheepfold. And unless an intruder was willing to confront the watchman, the only way into the sheepfold was to climb the wall. So that like brings kind of illumination to the first verse, right, where Jesus says, anyone who doesn't enter by the gate but climbs in some other way, that person is a thief and a robber. Because there's only one break in the wall, and to get into the sheepfold, you got to go through uh, the, the watchman who's, who's lying there. And so you have this picture of Jesus saying, hey, I've got my flock, and I've got my sheep pen, and if you want to come in, there's only one way to come in. And there's also this beautiful picture, this, this kind of protecting nature of this, uh, of Jesus being like, if you want to get at my sheep, you're going to have to come through me. And this is, this is this, this beautiful picture of sin and death and the, and the thief and, uh, and the robber that he's talking about here. There are things that look to destroy us and those that Jesus loves. And he says, you're going to have to come through me. And the ultimate picture of that is the cross, right? Like, I'm, I'm, go- I'm going to die to give my sheep life, protecting my sheep, loving my sheep. You've got to come through me. I am the gate for the sheep. Verse 8, he says, all who came before me 
are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. Um, he's, he's starting to kind of get a little dig at, at Israel's religious leaders at this point. He's starting to poke at them. We'll really get into that next week uh, of like their leaders that came before Jesus. And he's like, no, I'm the real shepherd. I'm here. But this is kind of just generally as well. Anyone who comes before him, anyone who's not him is a thief, who's an, is an imposter. It's not me. It's a thief or an imposter. They're, they're, they're robbers. And he says it again. I am the gate. I'm the gate. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved. He'll come in. He'll go out. He'll find pasture. And again, I, I think we're kind of confronted with this idea of like, mm, I don't know, like Jesus, it, it sounds so, so exclusive. And in our culture, we have a problem with that. And I actually, I think it's a good thing. I think there, there's a heart behind that that says we want good things for all people. And so, like, I, this sounds like somebody might be excluded, and I get that, and I, I absolutely sympathize with that. I wrestle with that myself. But, but I, I think there's some, some things I just want to point out to try to help us in this area. And the biggest thing is just this, that something being exclusive is not the same as someone being excluded. Exclusive is to say, like, okay, to, 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 to enter in or be a part of that thing, to, you, there's certain qualifications you have to meet, but anyone can. Excluding is saying, no matter what you do, you are not welcome. And this, that's not the picture that Jesus gives. He says, look, look what he says, I am the gate. If anyone, anyone, it is exclusive, but I will not exclude anyone. Like, there will never be a time Jesus is the gate where someone's like, I'm here at the gate. I see the sheep pen. There's only one way in. I want to get in. I want to come through the sheep pen. And Jesus will say, sorry, no, not you. That'll never happen. There'll never be a time where he says, you can't come in even if you want to come through me, even if you want to, because not people that look like you or think like you or believe like you or had the past that you had or the struggles that you have or still the questions that you have. Sorry, you are disqualified. There's no disqualification. So anyone can come, but... You do have to come through me. It's exclusive. It is. But it's not excluding. You know, the way I thought about it was trying to, oftentimes try to tie things to my own life to give myself a picture of this. And so as I was thinking through this, I'm like, okay, let me, let me, let me try to get some words around this. And I'm thinking of all of us in this room. Um, we have some sort of a relationship. Most of us, uh, we somewhat know each other either on a deep level or we're acquaintances. Some of you are new faces, but if I remember your face, there's somewhat of a relational component now. Right, a relationship has formed. If you were to show up at my house tomorrow, and you were to knock on my door, assuming I'm home, and, and, and I come to the door and say, Phil, Phil, I really need to come inside. I need to come inside. I need to talk to you. You know what I'm going to say? No. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to say, yeah, absolutely, come on in. Come in. Sit down. Make a cup of coffee. You know why? Because I know you, and we have a relationship. Now, if someone shows up at my house who I don't know, and they smash a window and climb in, we're going to have a problem. Right? The police are going to be called, and there may be a physical altercation. Not because I don't like that person. I mean, in that moment, I probably don't very much. But not because I don't like them or, or I have anything, any ill will towards them. But it's like, I don't know you. You can't come in my house that way. And I can still love that person. And in fact, someday, you know, we may end up being friends. We may laugh about it. Like, hey, you remember how I met? Yeah, I was laying on your floor and you punched me in the face. It was great. Like, we might, and we might develop a relationship at which point, come on through the door. But as long as I don't know you, you don't get to smash my window and come into my house. And in fact, like, everyone's like, well, yeah, that makes sense. And if I were to let the person, like, come on in, you'd be like, what is wrong with you? 
It's just crazy, though, that we, we, we take that, when we come to Scripture, when we come to Christianity, when we come to Jesus, we hold that at a standard that we don't live out or don't believe in any other area of life. So Jesus is like, well, yeah, this is, this is my sheep pen. This is the way in. Anyway, if you know, and look at what he says before, right? It's about the relational component. I know your name. You know my voice. There's a relationship so you can come in. If there's not a relationship, no. And, and again, we push back on that because, and I, and I get it because we're like, yeah, but, but why can't there be multiple ways, Phil? Like I heard you got a front door and a side door and a back door. And I know you kept talking about putting in egress windows in your basement, right? I know those are there as well. I was like, yeah, but it's my house. You can come in the way that I say you can come in. And it's like, yeah, but can't we just have it all open all the time? People just come and go. Have, the whole thing is just one giant door. And it's like, well, wait, wait, wait why, do, why do we need a house then? Why don't I just tear my house down and we live on an empty, like, city block and we'll just sleep under the stars in the beautiful northeast Ohio weather? It's like, well, no, 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 no. I want Because here's what we want. We want the protection that the house offers. We want the provision that the house offers. We want the, the opportunity to flourish and to grow and to be everything that, that God has made us to be. We want to pursue, be able to pursue our dreams. We want our, our kids to grow. Like, I want all the things that the house offers, so I still want the house. But I just want it my way. I want to be the one that determines the, the rules. And at the end of the day, man, that's, that's so often what it comes down to. It's like I, I want to dictate to God how things should be. The problem with that is that puts us in the seat of God. And human history is full of terrible examples of when people try to put themselves in the place of God. It usually ends in just violence and bloodshed and nothing good for anyone. But when there's the relational component there, like back to what Jesus is saying, if I know you, come on in. And he even says, listen, you know, uh, he, can, he can come in and go as he, out, as, as he pleases. Like once that relationship is formed, you're not a prisoner in the house. You're not like, ha you're in here now. You don't have to knock every time you come in. Again, back to an example like with our own homes, like you get, it's, if, if this is the Phil translation, it would say, hey, that person will have refrigerator privileges. You know what I'm saying? You, you have friends like this? My parents' house growing up, like we were like the local gathering place for me and all my friends. It would not be uncommon for me to come home and be like two of my friends just eating our food, right? Like it's that kind of picture. It's like, yeah, you can come in and go out because the relationship is there now. You're part of the family now. You belong here now. And come in, they go out and they find pasture. And all of that, this whole idea is leading up to this life-abundant passage. It's been, hey, it's the shepherd and the sheep. It's the shepherd. It's the gate. It's this relational come in, go out. And a thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I want people to have an abundant life, a quality and a quantity of life that is overflowing. So much life in you, actually, that it comes out of you and it spills into the people around you. Where it's just like, I, like life is just, life is good. It's not easy, but it's good. I'm not always happy, but there's joy. There's things that I, I, I would like, but yet I'm content. Like things are difficult, but there's love. Like there's just, there is just life in me flowing out of me that cannot be touched. That again, isn't just a someday when I die kind of thing, but it's a right now kind of experience. I've come to give them that kind of abundant life. And that kind of abundant life, the good life, is provided by walking with the shepherd through the gate. And again, this is the thing that we want. This abundant life, man, like, it's like, I wish I could have that, even if you're not a Christian or a follower of Jesus. Just like, it's like, okay, I don't believe that, but if it was true, I would want that. There's something about it that sounds so good. And as humans, like, man, we, we chase after these things. The reality is that we go about life, we're not on a, um, we're not on a truth quest. We're not on a reason or logic kind of quest. We like to tell ourselves we are. Like, I just live by truth and reason and logic. We're actually on a happiness quest. We're on a I want to be fulfilled quest. 
And I like truth and reason and logic as long as it helps me to be happy and fulfilled, and that's okay. But we're on this kind of fulfilled life quest, and that's a good thing. I think that's something that God has actually put in us to say there's a way that you are meant to experience life. The problem isn't that we have that desire. The problem is that we look to all the places to fill it other than the one place that actually can. It's like, I mean, I'm, I'm looking for happiness. I'm looking to be fulfilled. Let me try there. Let me try there. Let me try there. Let me try there. And, and with to devastating results. It doesn't, it doesn't take much to, to kind of just look around the current state of where we're at to realize what the fallout of this has been. Like, like man, people are suffering and people are hurting. Like we, are, we are living through a ridiculous mental health crisis right now. It is affecting so many people. If you track along with these kind of things, you'll see that there was a, a study that came out a couple weeks ago by the CDC that talks about just how impactful like this, this mental health struggle has been, especially among the youngest generations. This specifically looked at Gen Z, or teenagers, high schoolers, early college-age students. And some of the, f- the findings were just heartbreaking. They, 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 they track sadness or hopelessness. And teens experiencing consistent, not like every once in a while, but consistent, I live my, my life in a state of sadness or hopelessness, has risen dramatically in the, in the past decade. Ten years ago, it was 36% of teenage girls were in consistent sadness or hopelessness. Today, that's now 57%. 10 years ago, it was 21% of boys. Now it's 29%. The same study showed that 30% of teenage girls considered suicide in the past year. That's one in three. 22% of all high schoolers, that's one in five. Guys, we have students here on Wednesday night. We have 15. You can do the math. And people are hurting. And it's easy to kind of write that off. I'm like, oh, that's just the way things are. It'll get better. And, and you're like, you know, it's, 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 you know, COVID and isolation and all that, that probably. Now, that's certainly kind of uh, accelerated that a little bit. But this has been a trend that has been on the rise for at least, at least 10 years. There's been some research done in that area kind of looking at this. One of the, the people behind it is um, sociologist Jonathan Haidt. And looking at this, and for those of you who are visual learners, we'll just we'll pull up some graphs. So this right here is the uh, loneliness, like, kind of score, loneliness score. So here's 2012, pink line girls, blue line boys. It's since 2012, skyrocket. How about the percentage of U.S. teens with major depression since 2012? 161% increase in boys, 145% in girls. And how about just the percentage of the U.S. population with anxiety prevalence? It's actually gone up across kind of all generations slightly. Boomers, 7%. Okay, boomer. Um, Gen Xers, we haven't forgotten about you. That's at 18%. Millennials, that's me. That's my peers. We've gone up significantly, 62%. But again, teenagers, young adults, 92% increase in anxiety in the last 10 years. The past 10 years. And what's crazy to me is as I kind of look around as we, we think about these things, in the past 10 years, we objectively have more of all of the things that we were told would make us happy, but we're less happy. We have more of all the things that we've been told, especially for those of you that are younger, you're in my generation, you're younger than me, we were told from the time we were born, if you just get this thing, if you just go after that thing, if you just make this much money, if you get a college education, if you have the right relationship, if you, like we were told that that will be the thing that will fulfill us. And we keep getting it, and it's like, oh, wait, that didn't do it. Maybe it's something else. We keep, that didn't do it. Maybe it was something else. Like there's just this, this track record. Since the 1960s, the sexual revolution promised that sexual liberation would lead to our happiness. We're more liberated in 2023 than we've ever been, but we're not any happier. We've been told that technology will make our lives awesome. Technology is the answer to make human existence better. 
we have technology that is just mind-blowing. And like the exponential increase into our technology year over year is insane. We have smartphones. We have access, instant access to the internet. We can connect anywhere. We're not any happier. It was supposed to make our lives better and we become slaves to it. In fact, some of the research in these, these, that are, these charts are based on has shown a, a really interesting correlation or maybe causation in that year 2012. It's not when the first smartphone came out. It's not when social media came out. But it is the first year that there was a front-facing camera and selfies became a thing. It would free us, but we become slaves to it. We've been told that more stuff is the answer. Bigger, better, nicer, shinier. We have more than we've ever had. I was looking at the information around that. It's like uh, the average home size. I didn't know this was, this was so shocking to me. The average square footage of a home in 1970. Anybody know what it was? Shout out the number. Guess it. It's pretty close. About 1,500 square feet. It's almost 3,000 square feet today. We have more. We have more. We have more. Like there, there, there's, there's, even, there's, there's a rising increase in kind of like uh, drug acceptability to where it's like, you know, the way you experience the abundant life is to open your mind, to medicate. And it's not even all just negative things. There are good things that we were told would lead us to the abundant life. For some of us, it was, it was and again, I'm speaking to, to my millennials and Gen Zers. We've been, we've been told it's equality and it's justice. We are known as like the justice generation. We find a cause and we go after it and we love it, which, by the way, is awesome. And also, by the way, the church should be leading the charge on that. Like too, for too long, the church has been in the backseat and been like, oh, yeah, I guess equality is probably a good thing. We're the ones with, hey, people are made in the image of God and Jesus has died for everyone. But like we, we're like going after that. If we just have equality, everything will be better. We have more equality than we've ever had. And I'm not saying that we're there yet, but we're not any happier. I've been told that, how about this one, that family is the answer. Get married, have kids, live happily ever after. For many people, that kind of traditional family picture isn't possible. And for those of us that, that it is, it sets up an undue pressure on our, on our spouse, on our kids, on ourselves, because they were never meant to fulfill us. They don't deserve that weight. And then when they don't meet it, we're like, what's wrong with you? This relationship isn't good. There's this thing after thing after thing that said, this was the thing that was going to be fulfilling. And it hasn't been. And one of the, the things you know, that, that points this, this research about why the younger generations are so anxious and so depressed is because there's this increasing realization of all the things that we were told was going to be the thing that would make life better is not actually a possibility for our generation. As we, as we face things, we look at things like the ridiculous exponential growth in housing costs and in educational costs, and we're like, I'll never get to have the life my parents had, and I was told that was the thing that was going to make me happy. Now I can't have it. No wonder I'm hopeless. So over and over and over, here we are, 2023, more broken, more unfulfilled, increasingly realizing that we've been sold a bill of goods, that all the things we were told would fulfill us, that we believe would fulfill us, didn't. And here we go to 2,000-year-old words of Jesus saying, I want to, to give you that thing you've been looking for. And the things that you were trying to fill it with, you know what they did? They stole, they killed, they destroyed. My health, mental health, my relationships, my sense of joy, my sense of purpose, my, the dreams that I had, my morals, whatever it is, it, it stole, killed, destroyed. Jesus shows up and says, I want to give you abundant life. I don't just want to give you back what was stolen. I don't want to revive what died. And I don't want to fix what was broken. I want to give you something better. I want to give you life that you can't 
even imagine. Again, not easy, necessarily easy life or comfortable life or, or, or uh, like a, a, just a nice life, but something that you can't even quantify in the terms of like physical stuff. I want to give you an abundant life. And how does that happen? So far through the words of Jesus, he said, Here, here's what leads to the abundant life. You walk with the shepherd through the gate and I'm both. Do you hear my voice? I know your name. And so it brings us to this, this point of like, well, do I hear him? Do I follow him? And for some of us, it's just this, this matter of like, okay, I'm a Christian, right? But am I hearing Jesus and following Jesus? Is it personal? Is it relational? And maybe you're, you know, again, you're here, you're exploring, that's great. And maybe you tried a whole lot of other things. Maybe you're not ready to jump in on the Jesus thing yet, and I get that. You shouldn't just make careless decisions. You should think this through. It's a big deal. But the question I would just ask you is, what if, what if it's true? And what if he's right? And what if he will provide you in, in a life and following him the things that you long for? Are we hearing him and are we following him? Here's what I want to do. Um, I'm going to close up, but I want to do this in a way that's slightly different than I normally would. Normally, we'd, we'd just pray and we'd be done. Um, but one of the things that's kind of illuminating some of the words that Jesus is talking about here and, and this, where this idea of like a shepherd and a good shepherd is coming from is from the 23rd Psalm. And so Jesus talking to a mostly Jewish crowd, they would have been so familiar with these ideas and these themes. And so rather than praying for you, what I want to do is I want to pray the 23rd Psalm over you. Because this is a picture of what it looks like to have the abundant life. This is, this is God saying, here's what I want for you. Here's where you can find life and here you, you can find flourishing. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is a little different than what we normally do. I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes. And I just want you to hold your hands open. Because there's something about our physical posture that actually does affect how we think and how we process things. It's a posture of being able to receive something. And as I pray this over you, it's just the hope that you would receive Jesus as your shepherd, that he would give you the life that you're longing for. You would trust that it's true in him, that you find it in him. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me before quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord 